So it's a start of a new year, and that means that people have their New Year's resolutions. People are looking at making changes. By a show of hands, I'm just curious, I'm always curious this time of the year, how many of you have made a New Year's resolution? One person in the entire congregation? All right, we got four. Four? Or is your New Year's resolution to never have a New Year's resolution again, right? So whether we've made New Year's resolutions or not, I think everybody's hoping that 2020 would be a greater year of peace and joy and happiness, right? I think that's all of our desires. Here at Abundant Life, we're, we want to help you uh, with that. And so we're starting a new sermon series today that we have titled Engage. Engage really is the third sermon series in a collection of sermon series. So let me try and explain that. So you may recall, and I, and I would say that the collection of sermon series is Life in the Kingdom of God. That would be the title of the collection. But I see this collection of sermon series b- being made up of the Upside Down Kingdom. Remember, as we journeyed through, you know, for months through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the beginning of Matthew, and we really learned the upside-down ways of God's kingdom and how a person that has been radically transformed from the inside out will live differently in the world when compared to the rest of the world, right? So that was our Upside-Down Kingdom series, and then we went into our Kingdom Fit Sermon series, and that was all about how do we train with Jesus so that we actually become the sort of person that lives out his upside-down kingdom ways, right? So, upside-down kingdom, kingdom fit. In that kingdom fit sermon series, I mentioned that we need to train with Jesus, and our training plan needs to have two primary objectives. If, I don't know if you remember those objectives, but let me repeat those to you. The first objective is that we need to grow in our understanding and our knowledge of Jesus as our extremely loving creator, father, and savior. The second objective that our training plan needs to include, if we're really going to become kingdom fit, is that we need to learn to remove our simple, automatic responses of thinking, feeling, and behaving, right? Now... In that series, I said that in order for us to grow in those two objectives, we need to engage in the four essential habits that Jesus engaged in, which were engagement with God through prayer, engagement with truth, engagement with community, and engagement with experience. Now, as we were going through the Kingdom Fit Sermon Series and we got to this place of these four essential habits of Jesus... I touched on them, but I was not able to go as far in depth as I wanted to go. We had the Christmas season coming. We had plans for the Christmas season. And so after talking to two of my spiritual mentors and after talking to Brandon, which, by the way, he has been such a tremendous help. Him and Haley both as we meet weekly. Um, He just sometimes just brings clarity to what on earth is going on in my brain. And I am so thankful for that. But based on their encouragement, I'm circling back to these four essential habits of Jesus 
And we are going to focus on those in the coming weeks and really hopefully make it practical for you so that you know how to engage in these things. Because here's the thing. Out of all the New Year's resolutions that you could possibly make, I think the greatest decision you can make for 2020 is to engage God in these four disciplines, these four practices, and be committed to them. I think it will radically change how you view all of your life. It would help you to build your life on the unshakable foundation that is Christ, right? Because everything else is sinking sand. Let me pray, and then we'll start um, our journey in this series here. Lord, we (laughs) thank you that you're a God that engages with us and wants us to engage with you, that you desire relationship with us, that you desire intimacy with us. You are such a good God, and we are so grateful that you have done the unimaginable to make that possible through your son, through his life, death, and resurrection. We praise you for it. Lord, I pray that as we journey through this series, we would have a better understanding and a greater motivation of how we can grow in those two objectives as we practice, Jesus, the same habits that you practiced. Enlighten us. Open the eyes of our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so John 17, 3 says this, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. These are the words of Jesus recorded by John. And the Greek word that is used in this verse for life is the Greek word zoe. You may remember me talking about this at one point. And so what this Greek word means, it doesn't just mean mere existence, like bios means. It doesn't just mean something's like living. It means that something is abundantly alive. Something that is, the something that has a quality of life that is vigorous and tons of vitality and flourishing and thriving. That's what the Greek word zoe means. John's word choice here in 17.3 makes it clear what Jesus meant by what he said. Life that is full of abundance, vigor, vitality, and genuineness that starts now and goes on forever is found in knowing the only true God in the one Jesus Christ whom he has sent. In other words, the greatest possible life that a person can have is in knowing the Father and knowing the Son through the Spirit. King David, he says something similar in Psalm 1611. Check this out. You will show me the path of life. In your presence, he's speaking of God, is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Later in the gospel that bears his name, John, he records these words. He recorded these words of Jesus. John 10.10. I think this is where our church name came from which is an awesome name. I kind of wish it was just Abundant Life Church instead of Abundant Life Christian Fellowship because that, that, that's, that's a long name. But I, I'm still good with it, right? 
The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And then even just a little bit later in the Gospel of John, John recorded Jesus teaching his disciples about this whole concept of abiding in him. And then Jesus gave this reason for his teaching on this concept of abiding in Christ, John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Check this out. The one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, they are extremely serious about your joy. They are extremely serious about your joy. Look, we should never forget or downplay the sacrifice that's involved in following Jesus and the suffering that's involved in following Jesus, we should never forget about that, never downplay it. But we, may we never forget or downplay that this God who we follow, who is full of happiness and joy, is, he intensely desires for us to be full of joy and happiness. The same God who cares so much about your pleasure eternally is the same God who knows that your immense joy and ultimate joy, and if you're really going to have it and you're really going to have Zoe life, it is only found in knowing him in his son through the Spirit. And that's why he sent his son into the world, right, to pay our sin debt so that the roadblock of sin that was stopping us from intimacy with the one true God of the world could be removed, that could be paid for in full so we could be forgiven, so that we could be reconnected in relationship with the God who loves us so much, so that we could embrace the God that was embracing us. And that's why... We read in the Bible, approach God's throne boldly in prayer because it is a throne of grace. And so be with him. Come to him. Come experience this eternal Zoe that we were created to have. And yet, if we're being honest, we struggle with prayer, don't we? If we're being honest... We struggle to consistently set aside time to pray. In those times that we actually get around to praying often, they are very brief. Why is this so? If we've been given unlimited inside access, a backstage pass, so to speak, to the one in whom are hidden all the treasure of knowledge, and wisdom, and joy, all the treasures of these things, do we neglect what Christ paid such a great price for? Why is this? Why do we find engaging with the one through prayer who so radically engaged us so difficult? Why is it more of a duty than a delight? It was at this point in my sermon writing when I was thinking about this very question when I remembered a quote from an English philosopher, writer, and theologian, G.K. Chesterton. Anybody read anything by Chesterton? I thought Kevin would have. Check. This is what he says about Christianity. 
The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. I think Chesterton's words can specifically apply to prayer. I think we can say this. Prayer has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and, I would say, largely left untried. I think there are a variety of reasons why we find prayer difficult and why it's never really integrated into our life in a substantial way. I can share a few of those with you. First, prayer doesn't always produce a tangible result, a tangible product. Many times with prayer, the only accomplishment we can point to by engaging in it is that we open ourselves up to God. But a lot of times there isn't a tangible product. You know, like when we engage God through Scripture, often there's immediate insight and wisdom that we glean from it. But that's not always the case with prayer. And so I think that's, that's, that's part of it. And for those of you who, like myself, are like driven, let's get things done, let's be productive, and who are addicted to the adrenaline rush of producing something, uh, prayer can just seem like a waste of time sometimes. And instead of pressing into this difficulty and working through it, look, we, we keep our prayer time short and sweet. And, then, and the result is that our intimacy with Jesus remains short and not so sweet. Another difficulty when it comes to praying is that God is invisible, <laughs> right? And he doesn't typically speak audibly to people. I have heard of him doing this, though. Just recently, two, uh, right before Christmas, I heard somebody audibly had a word from the Lord. I have every reason to believe this person is a trustworthy person. But that's not how it usually goes for the, the bulk of us. It's so much easier to talk to a person that you can see with your eyes, you can touch, right? You can make eye contact with them. You can audibly hear their voice. And so that's a real struggle. And often people don't push past this difficulty, right? And then there is the factor that a lot of people, and I don't think, know how to pray. They really just don't know how to pray, especially in a way that fits their personality and their season in life. I'm hoping to correct that through this sermon series. And as a result, there's just really no vitality in their prayer life. There's no enjoyment. They don't look forward to it. And so it's really easy for prayer to get the axe when there are things competing for their time and things that need to be done, right? And then there's our tendency to pack our lives so stinking full that to spend 30 minutes a day of our 24 hours seems like ridiculous, right? It just seems utterly absurd and unreasonable. There are 14, well, there are 1,440 minutes in a day. That means if you spend 30 minutes in prayer, it would only consume 2.08% of your day. Is that unreasonable? <laughs> I don't think anybody would argue it's unreasonable. Surely not. These are all difficulties that I've experienced as I've tried to cultivate a prayer life with the Lord. And as I've tried and I've struggled and wrestled with prayer. But here's the main reason why I think prayer is uncharted waters for many. 
The gap between our confessional faith and our functional faith is real and large. Let me explain what I mean by this. My guess is that most of you in this room would confess with your mouth that, yes, Jesus should be our ultimate treasure. He's my ultimate treasure. That real, abundant, eternal life is found in God and the Son and the Spirit. That, yes, God is the one in whom all the treasure of wisdom and understanding and joy is stored and found and discovered. We would probably all confess these statements to be true. And yet there's this gap between what we confess with our mouths and how we live. Functional faith, to borrow some words from Dallas Willard, is actually living as if what you believe is true. We talked in adult Sunday school, now we call them thrive classes, right? We were talking about the difference between a belief and a conviction. Howard Hendricks said that a belief is something you'll argue about. A conviction is something you'll die for. Do you see the difference? Real belief, Willard says, extends beyond knowledge on the basis of knowledge. I love that. You see, if we... Let, let me say this. The gap has to be closed be between our confessional faith and our functional faith. If we really believed in our heart of hearts that God is as wonderful and spectacular and beautiful as we say that he is, our problem wouldn't be prayerlessness. You know what it would be? The problem would be the temptation to constantly pull ourselves out of our duties and responsibilities because we just want to be alone with Jesus. That would be the temptation. I just don't know if Jesus truly is our treasure of treasures. I'm just being real. I don't know if he really is. I don't know if we truly believe that in his presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. I just don't know if our lives reflect that. Look, we make time for what we treasure, don't we? We make time for what we treasure. What we value, we make time for. It's not an issue of time. Because guess what? If you had more time in the day, guess what it would be filled by? What you treasure. What you value. The issue is not a matter of time. It's a matter of values and what you treasure. That's the issue. Look. We value having a roof over our head, food to eat. We value having clothes to wear. We make time to work, right, so we can have those things. We value <laughs> the Buckeyes. We make time to watch the games. We read time to read the ESPN articles. We've, we know we are depraved when we, we value the Cleveland Browns, but we do. <laughs> right? And if that hasn't been the greatest waste of time in the last 20 or so years, I don't know what has been. But we make time for it. We value vacations. We make time for them. We value achievement. And so we put money into and time into excelling in whatever we do. We value family, so we make time for it. We value our hobbies. We make time for them. 
The issue is the issue of values and what we treasure in our hearts. That's the issue. In fact, prayerlessness almost always reveals that there is an idol on the throne of our heart. Almost always. So does a lack of Sabbath keeping, by the way, which so many of us are horrible at. We're still not very good at it, and it's been a point of emphasis for us. Look, if you can't take a day off a week to rest and to pray and play with God, you're not serving the Lord. You're serving something else. You are serving something else. You're serving an idol of something if you're not willing to do that once a week. Same thing with prayer. If you, you don't have time for prayer, you, another Lord is ruling your life. If prayer isn't getting on your schedule, guess what? God isn't planning your calendar. You are. And you're living that way because you're serving some Lord. Functionally, you're not living as what you say about God is true. C.S. Lewis, he uh, said that the problem we have is that we are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased with God's substitutes. We are far too easily pleased with a little level of joy. Check out this quote. It's from The Weight of Glory. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, and I would add, in regards to prayer, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires for happiness not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. My prayer for myself and my prayer for each of you in this room is that God would give you such an intense desire for infinite joy. And that intense desire for infinite joy, you would take that and you would functionally, not just confessionally, believe that it can only be quenched in a relationship with Jesus Christ. My prayer is that God would bring you to the place where you can honestly say with King David in Psalm 63, 1 through 5, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Look, I'm telling you, everything else is a mirage in the, in the desert. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus, I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. My plan this morning was to talk to you about the practicalities of prayer, the how-tos. 
And as I started my sermon writing, it was as if God was telling me, Shane, you have to take one step backwards. It was as if he was telling me, look, you, Shane, can talk to your people, my people, my sheep that are under your care in leadership. You can talk to them till you're blue in the face about the how-tos of prayer, the practicalities of prayer. You can talk to them till you're blue in the face over the next couple weeks about the essentials of the, the essential habits of Jesus. You can talk to them all about that. But if I'm not their supreme treasure, they're not going to push through the difficulties to pursue me in these habits. That's the cold, hard truth. And so, Shane, you need to talk to them about Jesus truly being their supreme treasure. Because if that is right, they won't let anything stop them from pursuing the one that has so lovingly pursued them. And if that's not established, you're wasting your time. The question becomes, and I'll end with this, just three quick things. How do we see this gap close between our confessional faith and our functional faith? How does Jesus come, <laughs> become not just our supreme treasure based on our beliefs, but actually that becomes a true conviction? And I think the first step to closing the gap is to realize there's a problem, that there is a gap in your heart and in your lifestyle. Um, that's the first part of the problem-solving process, right? Identify the problem. And then the second step, I believe, is to throw yourself upon the God of the gap. Our triune God is the God of the gap. He stands in the gap, and as we come to him and as we cry out to him, he starts to close it for us. We can cry words like this, God, I believe you are the greatest being in the world and that you are my extremely loving Father, Creator, and Savior. I believe it and I know that you should be the supreme treasure of my life and I know that it's in you where I can find eternal Zoe. Please move these beliefs from my head to my heart. So that, that oh, the way I pursue intimacy with you reflects it. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Or you could borrow some words from A.W. Tozer. Oh, God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I love that. I love that line. You may not even have the desire to want Jesus right now today. But you can pray that he would give you that desire. Do you at least have that to offer? If you do, offer it. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. 
In Jesus' name, amen. And the third step, so recognize the gap. Throw yourself on Jesus, the God of the gap. The third step is to dedicate, dedicate 2020 to be a year in which you, if you don't get anything else done, you're going to get this done, that you are going to grow and learn to engage God through prayer, through engaging with his truth, his community, and through engaging with experience. Like, put a stake in the ground today that 2020 is going to be different. And when you're here next year, on the same day in 2000, or how do you say, 2021, 2021, new decade, right? I got to figure it out. You will be able to say, boy, has God grown me in my relationship to him. There's an intimacy, there's a sweetness that is so different than what I had on this day back in 2020. Look, there's this wonderful truth, and I'll finish with this, in Hebrews 11.6. And I think you should bank on this in 2020. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We're going to talk next week a little bit about those rewards, and then we'll get to more of the practicalities of how to engage God through prayer. But you got to put the stake in the ground this Sunday, and you got to say, Lord, I want you to be my supreme treasure. I don't think you are functionally right now. Please come into my life and make it so. Why don't you stand with me and we'll pray. Lord, we uh, love you, and there's so many things that uh, we confess to be true about you, and yet there's this gap that uh, exists between what we confess and then actually how we live. Lord, thank you that you are so patient with us. Thank you that when we come to you and we say, I believe, but help my unbelief, it's not like you shun us away. You wrap us in your embrace. And you reward us from running to you, that you will bless us with a gap in our life that starts to close so that we actually live as if we say what we believe is true. Lord, thank you that you put such uh, emphasis on our joy, and that matters so much to you. Lord, may we all be utterly convinced that that real lasting joy is found in knowing you and knowing your son by the Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.